0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This is the Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the Metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world. All on the hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network.
1: Happy Friday and welcome to the three box. Well, we're all here, I guess. We're missing Jen. She's up in Canada, lost. They don't have internet sometimes. So we are without her. We're hoping that she's watching on YouTube right now, but oh well. We're going to kick it off talking about a lot of regulation today, some liquidations and some other sad news. It's kind of a sad Friday story day. Adam, I'm going to throw it to you to start off the day, though.
2: Yeah, thanks, Will. So this morning, we're kicking things off with a new official number out of the Department of Labor Statistics. Markets and policymakers had hoped to see the top-line number for new employment in June come in somewhere between 175 and 250,000 jobs added, but the results were actually much better, showing an increase of nearly 375,000 jobs for the month. Now, you'd think that good news would be well-received by markets, but in practice, that's often not how things work in the sort of modern era. That's because central bankers have pumped so much money over the years into markets indirectly through supportive monetary policy that when times are good and central banks have to ease off, well, that's actually bad for markets. But there's another thing in today's report that is a little bit strange. While the most watched numbers known as the establishment survey showed more growth than the central bankers would prefer, the household survey breaks things out a little bit more and showed basically the opposite, with full-time and part-time workers dropping by 152,000 and 326,000 respectively in the month of June while those who hold multiple jobs rose by 239,000. So the number of people working, according to the survey, went down pretty significantly in June, even as the number of jobs that were filled went up. It's also worth noting that in the month of June, workers who hold multiple jobs and work full-time hours at at least two of them hit an all-time record high. So it's good news, that's bad news, but actually the good news is also bad news uh, (laughs) once you actually start looking at the data. Uh, That was a lot of numbers. Will, (laughs) I see your hand up. What, What do you think here? Yeah, this is really, really interesting, right? And we've been in a weird economic
1: paradigm for over two years now. So since March 2020, when we saw the COVID pandemic hit the United States, hit the country with the highest GDP, we've seen that the economic picture has just continued to swap between different paradigms that we don't quite understand, right? So at first, we had a lot of people lose their jobs. And then the stock market went down a ton. And then a few weeks later, the stock market was hot as ever, people started getting their jobs back, people started working remotely. The governments are printing a ton of money, literally mailing checks to people in order to get them the money they need to, to go along with their lives. And then two years later, we have this inflationary crisis and people are blaming on Ukraine. They're blaming on like oil embargoes. But other people in the Bitcoin community are looking at this and being like, oh, they're money printing like that is the cause of all this. And now we're looking at a picture where people think there's going to be recession or we are going to be classified as being in a recession for the last two quarters. We're waiting on a little more data from this quarter before we can say we're in a recession. Stock market has definitely taken a hit since March, or really since January, the Fed news came out. But at the same time, unemployment has been like pretty stubborn, right? Like It's hovering around 3.5%. And most economists say around 4%, 4 to 5% is actually considered full employment for an economy. So we're actually skirting below it and doing pretty well. So it's weird to be in this spot because a lot of the big macro polls and like the levers we look at are not really budging, right? They're just they're doing whatever they want. Inflation doesn't seem to be coming down, but employment seems to be doing pretty well. The stock market is down. It's just a very weird spot to be in. Wendy, I want to get your take on this though. Definitely an interesting headline and pretty optimistic one.
0: So this is the thing. All of these numbers, I don't think they're very transparent to the public. And when they actually take into account that they stop adding people that are actually in the workforce, because I don't know the statistics with that, but I know that at a certain time after six months or three months or whatever it is, when somebody stops working or stops collecting unemployment, they don't add them to those numbers. So all these numbers we're seeing, I don't trust them. I know for a fact that we are in a recession. You can see it in the stores, like the Costco by my house. There's literally nothing there. There's no one in there. The Walmart by my house no stock of anything. Nobody's in there. You can see it on the streets. You can actually see it on the streets. Also too, another thing that they're not talking about, there's still a moratorium in Los Angeles County. And basically what that means is people do not have to pay their rent. And if you don't have people that are paying their rent and you don't have people that have to work to pay their rent or to pay their mortgages, they don't need to get a job. There's no point for them to get a job. I see job signs all over LA County. I'm not just talking about one city. I'm talking about literally every single city. There's job signs everywhere. So a lot of people who are not out there working are actually looking for it, and I don't blame them. Why would you look for work when you don't have to pay your rent? So that's something interesting to kind of keep in mind. And I know I don't have the data on this because the data is not available. And it's also very hard to find. And It's also very hard to track. So we know that they printed a bunch of money. We're also in a very, very unique situation because we were literally closed down for almost two years, almost two years. So of course, there's still going to be some repercussions for that. And plus all the money that they've printed in the last... I think it was in 2021, if someone wants to correct me on that, but they would print so much money. And then with the stimulus checks, I view those as hush money. And it's basically telling people, we're going to give you $2,000 because you're a good boy or a girl. You paid your taxes, you did what you're supposed to do, you're poor, we're going to give you this hush money. And then what they did is they actually spent a lot more money and they bailed out a lot of these large corporations, which is a whole another issue. So we're seeing this used as a way to kind of keep people quiet without really paying attention to what is actually going on behind the scenes. I do think things are going to get a lot worse. Unfortunately, I worked through 2008. I saw exactly what happened. And the interesting thing during the whole 2008 housing crash is I was in school that time to get my certification to work in healthcare. I had people, I had like grown adults, like, because I was young at that time, I had grown adults that were leaving their six-figure job because they got fired because of the housing crash to get some certification so that they can earn like $15 an hour working in healthcare. And I think that we're going to see a lot more of that happen again. And I just, it just not, this whole thing is just not sitting right with me, especially the way that the media is portraying things, the stuff that we're seeing the president say, the stuff that we're seeing all these statistics that they're saying as well.
2: So I love this perspective, I have to tell you, Wendy. It's always, always great to find people who don't trust the government as much as I do. <laughs> so whenever, whenever I talk about these types of numbers, right, and we bring up stories like this, I like to say that these are the official numbers. And that is an accurate statement that correctly sort of frames them but it leaves out some additional context that we do talk about on this show from time to time and in other areas where I talk about this type of stuff, which is that when you're talking about how the kind of the measuring sticks that we use to measure productivity, to measure how happy we are, to measure, frankly, how well the government is performing on our behalf, what you find if you go back in history is that they change these numbers and they change these numbers in terms of how they're calculated. And they say that it's for reasons that are all very good. But the net effect of those changes tends to be that the government looks like they're doing a better job. So what you're talking about in terms of the numbers that aren't in this is the labor participation rate. And the labor participation rate has to do with how many people in the country actually are employed in percentage terms. That is excluded for the most part from these types of statistics So the reason why it's worth talking about this stuff, in my opinion, is because even by the rigged metrics that the government puts out to make them look good, (laughs) they still don't look good, right? And this sort of dichotomy between on the one side, the official kind of establishment survey that I talked about, and then the household survey that shows you, again, like the one that they're putting out there significantly is the one that makes them look like they're doing a better job. And they're not going to emphasize the other one. You have to go looking for that one. So yeah, I think you're right on with all of the stuff that you said. I think we have to move on to the next story, although I would love to talk about this for a bunch longer.
0: <laughs> darn, we got to talk about more
1: regulation.
2: But keep your tinfoil hats
1: on, guys. We, we have more government stuff to talk about.
0: This is my story, and we have to talk about this because it's very, very, very misleading. So U.S. Treasury develops framework for international crypto regulation. Yesterday, the U.S. Treasury Department published a fact sheet which outlined how it could work with foreign regulators to address crypto digital asset sector. And this is a direct result of President Biden's executive order on crypto. It reads, the framework that is intended to ensure that America's core democratic values are respected. But when you go through this article and you look what's actually being said, the framework policy objectives include reducing the potential use of crypto for illicit finance, promoting access to financial services, supporting technological advances that promote responsible development and use of digital assets by advancing research and relationships that increase shared learning to reinforce US leadership in the global financial system basically all this is talking about is payments is about payments it's not giving us any types of guidelines for crypto for is this a security is this not a security is this a commodity what regulatory agency is going to look at this who's going to regulate exchanges what's happening with stable coins And I don't know if you guys have it, if you can pull up that tweet from John Deaton that he spoke about. So he came on my show yesterday. John is an absolutely amazing attorney. But on the show, we talked about some of the implications regarding Voyager and Celsius. And he also said, as I told Crypto I hope I eat my words and I'll be thrilled to say I was wrong. But if you think Congress is going to pass bipartisan legislation regarding crypto during an election year dominated by guns and abortion, you'll be disappointed. The XRP case will be it. And, you know, he's big with the XRP community with the Ripple community he's helping to kind of push back against what the SEC is doing. And I agree with him 100%. We are not going to see crypto regulation transpire, especially during election year, and especially with all these other things happening, which we know is doing a lot of detriment to American crypto participants. I think I want to actually hand this over to Adam for your take on it.
2: Thank you. Yeah, so it's definitely an interesting story. You know, I again like my pet peeve about all of these central bankers who find their ways into various roles and then do a terrible job of predicting everything that you know they think is going to happen, and then continue to make rules about this stuff leads me to believe that actually it would be a much better outcome than the alternative if we don't see legislation happen this year. I think again, there's sort of a naive belief in the space that regulation equals good regulation, and there's a huge difference between regulation and good regulation. I am confident that if Congress wanted to, they could pass regulation. I don't think it would be good. I think it would actually likely add confusion. I think it would create competitive barriers such that the larger players who are out there would become more ensconced in their position and the people who are trying to disrupt those players would have a harder time doing that, which I'm never in favor of. So I think that there's a lot of stuff in that framework, but just to kind of draw it back to what are these people always talking about when they're talking about this stuff? They're talking about power. And they're talking specifically about the power that the United States and the Western world via the United States holds by control of the currency. And so when they're talking about payments, that's because that's what they care about. They're really, really concerned that if an alternative emerged that doesn't even have to be a cryptocurrency, it could simply be backed by a cryptocurrency. It could simply be connected in some other way that would give it characteristics as a form of money that would make it so that it's completely unlike the system that we have today and the system that we have not just in the United States, but that is basically infected the rest of the world with governments monetizing their own debt uh, and doing all kinds of other terrible things that then have all these repercussions that we see today in the economy that we don't understand in that like you can't connect a direct relationship like a straight line from this thing to that thing. But they're all part of the ecosystem that creates the environment in which we all have to live. We all have to try to be successful. And that's just gotten harder and harder and harder and harder. So again, the United States is very focused on keeping the incredible privilege that they have by issuing the currency. And that's why they care about cryptocurrency. That's the only reason why they care about cryptocurrency, because if they lose that, there's bad things ahead for not just the government, but for the people as well. But the government, of course, is what the government cares about when they're talking about stuff like this, at least in my opinion. Well, what do you think?
1: Yeah, I have two thoughts on this. First, it's interesting, it's international, right? The U.S. government typically sets the framework for all these things, like they're the leader of the G20, the G7, all those international bodies, and that's why they're getting ahead of this, right? And they've Typically, we've been pretty slow, but we have definitely seen a lot of headlines coming out of the Treasury, coming out of different ABC regulators in Washington, D.C. about stable coins and about crypto. Over the last two years, it is 100% accelerated ever since we've seen this bull market happen. So they're going to get some framework going at some point. You just hope that it's going to be robust and secure and actually help everyone out. Likely, it's not going to happen, though, of course. Second point I'd like to bring up is Ave launching a new stablecoin project yesterday, which ties in really well to this story for a few reasons. The first point is, it's a decentralized stablecoin based on a protocol that's been in existence for a while, right? So this protocol was able to use existing assets that it has operating already within this regulatory uncertainty. It just exists. People use it. People take loans out on it. And now they're able to build on top of it another financial primitive, a stablecoin that people can use to transact with each other with. We've already seen this developed with MakerDAO. We talked about it yesterday. The DAI stablecoin is basically like the token behind almost all of DeFi. It's very important. And now there's a competitor to it. So what we're going to see, I think, going forward is more of these decentralized stablecoins are just going to continue to push the agenda forward. Like we're going to see more of these developers, more of these projects keep leaning into the uncertainty to build new products. And that's going to push the government to have to make a decision sooner rather than later. And hopefully they don't make a knee-jerk decision here. Hopefully that they can look at this and see this is beneficial. This allows people to uh, make decisions with their own money, allows financial innovation. A lot of these DeFi things did very well over the last few weeks in comparison to things like Three Arrows Capital, Celsius and others that just completely blew up because they're very centralized. Hopefully the government takes a look at that. and says this is a good thing. Wendy, I'll give it to you for your last thoughts on this story.
0: How ironic, though, is that we see a lot of these decentralized protocols be more transparent and do a lot better than some of these centralized entities that were supposedly licensed and registered to operate properly in the United States of America. And again, I have to say, I'm just not understanding why you wouldn't put something into effect because of all of this fallout from Celsius and from Voyager, Three Arrows Capital. I believe your next story that you're going to talk about. The amount of lawsuits that are going to be clogging the system because the United States of America's government couldn't come out with some sort of guidelines is going to be ridiculous. We wasted so much time and money on this. When I talk about time and money, it's not their time and money. It's our time and money because we all pay taxes. So again, I just have to express my disdain for what is happening because the United States government is supposed to protect us and they haven't done anything to do so. All they've done is they've impeded progression. And they've also created this really unsafe environment for everybody when they're sitting here preaching on MSM that they're supposed to be here to protect us. And they want to create really, really safe environment for us to participate in when in fact, they've done nothing but wasted our time.
1: I'm from the government and I'm here to help you. It's a frightening phrase, of course. Let's turn over to Three Arrows Capital and Blockchain.com. Blockchain.com is one of the newest headlines we found out about them taking a huge loss from the default of Three Arrows Capital. Quote, this is from the Peter Smith, CEO of blockchain.com. Three arrows is rapidly becoming insolvent, and the default impact is approximately $270 million worth of cryptocurrency and U.S. dollar loans from blockchain.com. Blockchain.com is a well-known startup within the space. They're found, I believe, in 2011. They were first with a wallet, a blockchain explorer, many other products, and they've moved more into the financial aspects of all things crypto over the last few years Interesting to see them take a loss, but I think what we're seeing as more information comes out about three Rivers capital is that basically anyone who was in the lending game was hit by this. Three Rivers capital was rehypothecating all of their assets for collateral to take out even larger loans. And a lot of times these firms didn't realize that three Rivers capital was doing it. They didn't know that this collateral had already been pledged on different loans. So when the liquidations came around, the first people to take the collateral off the table were the ones that were okay. And everyone else who wasn't quick to get that collateral is ending up with an empty bag. It's a rough situation. Luckily, it seems like blockchain.com will be okay. A lot of these larger firms, $270 million is a lot, but it's not enough to really destroy operations or put them in a bad spot. It's just something they wipe off the table and fix operations for the next year. Wendy, I'm going to throw this one over to you, though. It is definitely interesting to see yet another big name involved with this 3AC debacle.
0: That's why I don't think that we've actually capitulated yet. Yes, we're having a really nice price pump. We saw that we kissed like $22,000, which is great. I still do believe that we will have some sort of melt up that will occur before we actually capitulate because I don't think that this is done yet. We're seeing brand new stories come out of so many different firms that were impacted, so much money being lent out and collateralized and all of that. So I think that this bear market is going to be a lot worse than the 2018, 2020 bear market because there's just so much money. And these guys had their hands in so many different pockets. It's like crazy. It's like, who, who did, they didn't loan money to me or I didn't give them money because I'm down You're here sure. on the totem pole. But it's like, to me, it's crazy because the way I grew up, I had a very interesting life and I just don't like people that I grew up around. They just don't give money out. And I'm not understanding how these people with degrees and these fancy suits, everybody's just okay with giving all this amount of money out. What actually was happening behind the scenes? And again, we're going to see more. We're going to see more lawsuits. And this whole thing is going to get drug out for a lot longer, in my opinion. Adam, over to you.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that the answer to your question in terms of why people give money to companies like this is because they think they're going to make a bunch of money off of it right like people don't lend for charity and that's what a lot of these companies have become is they've become lenders right like blockchain.com i don't think i even knew that they did loans and they probably don't advertise that they do loans but they have so much money that they can do loans and you know to a player like three arrows capital well if you've got billions of dollars in assets under management and you've been around for you know 9 or 10 years or whatever then it seems like it's at least plausible now the comparison that keeps coming to me and i don't know if it's correct this feels like archegos right This feels like sort of the collapse of the hedge fund that then had rehypothecated and had huge debts out with many of the major banks in the traditional financial world. And then when it collapsed, it caused the same sort of contagion. But of course, the government's there backstop. And there there are kind of other ways to resolve that. So we don't have anything like that in crypto. So although this has been brutal, and it remains a brutal environment to be doing this stuff in, I continue to be actually pretty optimistic about how things are going to go over the next, you know, call it six months relative to a multi-year bear market like we've seen in the past this feels to me like it's the flushing out of a lot of really bad decision making made by these companies and it's definitely gonna hurt people there's no question about that it's definitely gonna give a pretext for regulators to come in and make new rules should they want to do that but at the same time i like that i would rather the companies that take stupid risks fail faster And then no longer be out there rather than the alternative that we see. You know, again, Japan is a huge example of that, where you have these gigantic zombie companies that just like lumber around, can't really do anything, but also can't die. And so the people and the capital tied up in them just kind of stay trapped forever. And then it becomes the government's problem. So Wendy, what do you think?
0: I understand what you're saying. And I hear what you're saying. My issue, though is that I just wish it didn't impact so many retail users. But of course, Celsius and of course, Voyager, they've been around for quite some time. And some of these other companies that were impacted too, like, cause I've got money locked up in both and I've already written that off. You know, I know I'm not going to get it back. It is what it is, but I know there's more people that might not be able to tolerate that type of risk. So that's what bothers me is we lit a bunch of suits, let a bunch of people come in and really screw the little guy over. And that's not okay with me. It doesn't sit right with me. And it starts to become very problematic because once these guys gets flushed out, who's not to say somebody else new is going to come in and do the same thing. And it's just going to continue to repeat and repeat and repeat. So that's just my stance on it. And I do have to advocate for the underdogs and the little guy because that's what I do. That's that.
2: Yeah. So no, no question about any of that stuff. Again, like it's painful that this involves retail, but that's what always happens. Like retail is always the kind of party that gets damaged in these types of situations. So on the one hand, that's true. On the other hand, again, the alternative is the alternative, right? And I can't tell you how many mistakes I made in my early experiences in cryptocurrency that involved me losing a lot of money. I've had stuff stolen from me. I've had stuff stolen from family members. You know, again, like those painful experiences are painful, but to the extent that you then experience them, you feel them in a much more real way than reading about somebody else. So again, like these days, I don't do anything in crypto as far as like trading, as far as, you know, I didn't go for any yield or any stuff like that. And it's because I've been burned so many times in the past. I'm like, okay, my best play is just literally do nothing. And that's kind of the alternative. And so I actually see that as a positive, not in the short term, but in the medium term, because it means that people will be more skeptical and they'll demand more stuff. And then one other comment, fraud is illegal. There's a lot of stuff that's illegal. We don't need to make new rules to make conduct in crypto illegal. Like. People do illegal stuff all the time. We just need to enforce the law. And that's partly lawsuits. And so I'm very happy to see that that's happening because that's a system that seems more effective at actually rooting out these bad actors and setting up incentives versus what we've seen with the SEC going after you know a handful of the absolute worst ICOs when in reality, almost all of the projects that were launched in 2017, 2018, 2019 through the ICO mechanism are actually security. So my belief and faith in the government to try to solve these problems for us is incredibly low. And I think it's these painful experiences that, although very painful, are what actually help people to understand the reality of these situations much better as they go on in their journey. My two jaded co-hosts.
1: It's a hell of a way to end the week. It's okay, though. It's been some rough crypto news for a while now. I think we're going to close it there for the weekend. Any guys weekend plans, weekend thoughts? I don't think I'm doing anything interesting. Not watching the markets.
0: (laughs) Not watching the markets markets and trying to keep some food down and that's it.
1: There we go. There we go. I'm Will Foxley. Adam B. Levine is over there on that side of me. Wendy O. in the middle. Appreciate everyone watching. If you're listening. Also, thanks for listening to that. A lot of great CoinDesk podcasts out there. So don't just check out The Hash. Check out some of the other CoinDesk podcasts on the CoinDesk Podcast Network. All of us at The Hash. Thanks for watching. Happy Friday.
0: You've been listening to The Hash on the CoinDesk Podcast Network.